0: Welcome to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The Edge Podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. This week on the edge podcast i welcome back healthcare compliance consultant sean weiss to the program we're happy to have you back my friend we haven't talked to you in a while
0: hey terry happy new year to you thank you so much for inviting me on
1: thank you and happy new year to you yourself so where topic of discussion is today is that you know sean and i actually participate in several podcasts away from the NSCHBC. But also we're bringing that um, kind of into the business of medicine because our topic is talking about the proposed changes to the 60-day rule for Medicare and also some of the 2023 updates that are really important to many physician and dental practices out there. And if you're not updated now that we're into January, uh, you could be doing some things or not aware of some things that could come back on the back end uh, and be a problem. So, We're going to start right off today with some of the expertise that Sean gives us. And Sean, first, tell us what that 60-day rule actually is.
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's in line with what the government tends to do right around the holidays when, you know, there's not a lot of folks paying attention because we're taking vacation. And, you know, while I was on vacation during the month of December in 2022, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services... Without provocation, (laughs) issued a proposed rule that would basically materially change the obligations of an entity that participates in the Medicare program to report and return overpayments um, of Medicare Part A and Medicare Part B funds. And what the proposed rule would do is to revert to the definition of identify that CMS originally proposed back in 2012, and it removes the concept of quantification of an overpayment serving as basically the start of the 60 day clock window, if you will.
1: So if someone has to send an overpayment to Medicare, um, based on is it self-reporting or something that was found from it something is. they got in the mail? Self-reporting. Okay, so now they the clock is a different clock than it was in 2022. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. So rather than allowing Part A and Part B providers, and remember this also applies to suppliers, durable medical equipment suppliers, rather than allowing them time to conduct what we all refer to as reasonable diligence. Prior to making a determination that an overpayment has occurred and allowing us the opportunity to quantify the amount of the overpayment as it's currently set for in the current overpayment refund rule, which you can find at 42 CFR section 401.305.
1: No, so I wanted to just kind of take one step back a little bit. One thing that yeah. maybe our audience isn't aware of is what a self-reporting rule is. Let kind of comment on that real quick and then continue. Because I think some people don't, sure. don't think that they have to refund any money unless they get someone knocking at their door or, you know, something in the mail.
0: No, that's such a that's such a great point. So by contractual obligation, by statute, by code, if you become aware that you have received that you have received a remuneration above and beyond what you were entitled to or let's just say you you build for a service but you don't have any documentation in the medical record to substantiate the billing of that cpt code so you got paid for a service that essentially didn't happen right because the old adage if it's not documented it didn't happen so under Medicare regulations and as part of the Affordable Care Act, they created what's called the 60-day rule and you are compelled to issue voluntary refunds when you identify and confirm that you've received a Medicare overpayment. Okay. Let me let me take it a step further Terry. Okay. The new proposed rule would require those who participate in Medicare Part A and Part B With respect to overpayments, they have to be reported and returned within 60 days of the provider or supplier having actual knowledge, meaning just knowing that you received the overpayment. Your clock starts. Right now, under the rule, you have up to eight months to conduct a bona fide investigation, and then you have 60 days, once you've confirmed and quantified your overpayment, to issue a refund. So now with the proposed rule, um, it, it requires that the overpayments be reported and returned within 60 days of the provider or supplier having actual knowledge or being in reckless disregard or deliberate ignorance of the existence of the overpayment. And what that means is under the current rule, providers and suppliers that become aware of any potential overpayment, that may have occurred are expected to investigate the existence of the overpayment and determine the amount before notifying the government and returning the overpaid amounts. Now, only after the quantification of the overpayment happens does the actual beginning of the 60 day clock begin to run on when you have to return the overpayment to the government. So essentially, what would happen, Terry? is that the language that's already existing at 42 CFR, and CFR, for those of you who are not familiar with that term, that's the Code of Federal Regulations. So it's 42 Code of Federal Federal Regulations, subsection 401.305A2. It states that a person has identified an overpayment when the person has or should have, through the exercise of reasonable diligence, determined that the person has received an overpayment and quantified the overpayment uh, amount. And further, a person should have determined that the person received an overpayment and quantified the amount of the overpayment if the person fails to exercise reasonable diligence and the person, in fact, received an overpayment. So that tells us that we have an opportunity to do our reasonable diligence and then Quantify the amount of the overpayment. That's the existing language. And what the proposed rule would do is, and again, it stays in the same section, it, it would change it to say that a person has identified an overpayment when the person knowingly receives or retains an overpayment. And the term knowingly has the same meaning as it's set forth in 31. USC, which is the united states code 3729b1a if you're not familiar with that section that's the false claims act and if you look at the main term that cms is proposing knowingly is defined at the section that i just stated for you in 31 usc 3729b1a it means that a person with respect to information as actual knowledge of the information. Second acts in deliberate ignorance of the truth or falsity of the information. And three acts in reckless disregard of the truth or falsity of the information.
1: So let me, let me interject here a little bit. So, yeah. So, um, one of the things that I love about you is the fact that you are my regulatory guru. I mean, you can spout off regulatory information, chapter verse, like nobody I know. And uh, I can probably do it with the CPT book. So it's just, it's a, it's a really, you know, great thing to be able to do that, but let me kind of simplify it a little bit for our listeners and just kind of put something out there that I think will kind of bring it kind of all together. So one thing that you said that had a big impact when I first heard you say this not too long ago, was that I think physicians, believe that and this correct me if I'm wrong but I think a lot of providers let's use providers And when I say providers I mean physicians dentists and mid-level providers clinical staff I think they believe that if they've done something wrong and it's not brought to the attention or they knowingly know about it um, then that's when this is impact but you said any person so that could be right. anybody any healthcare provider anybody in the office anybody anybody who knowingly Knows that there's something that was done incorrectly, um, can be held responsible. But secondly, on this, I'm wondering if this rule and you, you know, I know I hear it every once in a while. Most people come to me for an audit when they want to see if they're missing revenue, if they, you know, if they can capture anything else rarely do they say i want to see i want to do an audit so that i can see if i'm doing anything wrong and i have to refund and so i'm wondering right. if many people would shy away from auditing themselves or or self you know um inquiring on how things are done in their office so that they can i don't want to say claim ignorance but not have to find out if something is there it's kind of like going to the doctor i don't want to go because i don't want to hear the bad news what do you think about right that?
0: so so i think that's a horrible idea. Know, but, but it does happen. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and and the reason why i think it's a horrible idea <laughs> is because cms is aligning the the change the, the the proposed change to the civil false claims act. and if you act with deliberate ignorance of the truth or falsity and right deliberate ignorance is I'll put it in simple speak: ostrich with the head in the sand. You can't bury your head in the sand and say, "Well, I didn't, I didn't know," because the government's going to say you should have known. You had an obligation to know. You have an obligation as part of a corporate compliance program, especially if you have policies and procedures to audit and to self-report. You know, if we if we had an hour, you and I could go into discussions about why you want to do this with the Office of Inspector General, but I, I, I'll sum this up for you and the listeners, Terry. The problem that I have with everything that we've just talked about is that CMS fails to address the vagueness or the ambiguity, if you will, that the, propose, that the proposed definition creates. Y- you have to keep in mind that All of this centers around the 60-day rule, right? The the voluntary refunds, as we started talking about. So if you're conducting a bona fide investigation, we typically do not know the amount of an overpayment until the full investigation is complete. And as I said before, that can take months. You know, we, we currently are allowed up to eight months to conduct that investigation and then the 60-day calendar starts now the way it is written in the proposed language just the mere existence of the overpayment requires a refund within 60 days of it being known but the question that i pose to cms is how can we issue a refund if we do not quantify the amount through a proper look-back period Good question. What CMS is trying to do, yeah. What CMS is trying to do, and I understand it, they're trying to align themselves with the Civil False Claims Act, and that's fine. But you you have to look at what you already have in the code of federal regulations, which allows a provider, a person, a supplier, an opportunity to use and deploy reasonable diligence. To conduct a bona fide investigation and to be able to quantify through a proper look back using a statistically valid random sample, doing an audit, you know, confirming and I, you know, identifying and then confirming your overpayment.
1: Well, let me interject there, too. One of the things that I think is really important, too, and I'll kind of wrap it up with this. um, There's a there's a wives tale out there or a myth that. Practices think, well, if I do that and I send money back, that's going to trigger further audits for me. It's not. It actually is going to make you look really good in the eyes of CMS and the OIG, because think about it. If you're self-reporting, if you are self-policing within your practice through a compliance program, through a compliance model that you have, and you are on top of things, making sure that incident two, shared visits, Um, you know, how physicians practice, you know, DME, everything that that Sean mentioned, if you're doing things correctly uh, and you're making sure they're done correctly on a consistent basis, because remember, staff come and go, uh, you know, provider changeover. And so you constantly have to educate on this. And if you can reflect, let's say somebody does come knocking at your door and you can show that, you know, you have self-reported if necessary, or if uh, hopefully you have a compliance plan, that you also have a corrective action, if there's somebody that's going against your policy, you show that you're you're not only have done your due diligence, but that you are a proactive and uh, a practice who wants to do things right, that you're not trying to bury your head in the sand, you're not trying to hide anything, that you're not claiming, like you said, the deliberate ignorance, you're basically saying, I want to be above board. I want to make sure that I know the rules and I have staff in place that also know those rules. And we are continually educating, you know, people in our practice, including providers, because I constantly get, Sean, that people are saying in a lot of practices, not only that they don't want to audit because they think it'll trigger an audit or they don't want to self-report because they think it'll trigger an audit. And that's not true.
0: Right. Now, I agree with you 100%. And remember, the whole goal that we're trying to, you know, you know, create is a culture of compliance so that when somebody does knock on our door and they call into question what we're doing and why we're doing it, we have we have a strong response. And, and I'll just wrap up, Terry, for you with this last little part. You know, for me, this is a prime example of those at CMS not paying close attention to what's clearly defined in the current rules. And that by eliminating the existing language and replacing it with the proposed language, CMS is silent. And furthermore, they fail to define or explain what the terms reckless disregard and or deliberate ignorance mean with respect to the provider or supplier who received or retained an overpayment. This was all for anyone who's interested. This was all issued in the Federal Register. On December 27th of 2022, and public comments on the proposed rule are due by February 13th of 2023. So make sure your listeners are commenting on the proposed change, because if this goes through, it could have wide-ranging adverse effects on providers and suppliers for Part A. Excellent part b and part d.
1: And remember, you know, changes made by those of us who show up. That means commenting, making sure that you are doing your due diligence and that you are following what's happening from a regulatory standpoint. So we would like to thank you Sean for being on the podcast today and your regulatory and federal policy expertise is just, you know, great. We just really appreciate it and your insights to this very timely topic. So thank you for being here today.
0: It's all my all my pleasure, Terry.
1: You can reach Sean at NSCHBC.org, go to the Find the Consultant tab and type in his first name and his information will pop up for you. And also at Doctors Management where he is the VP of Compliance. That's it for us today. Please join us next month in February when we look at 2023 revenue opportunities for physicians and for dentists. Everyone make it a great day, a great rest of your month, and thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at NSCHBC.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.